0: The large adventure podcast. I'm Drifter.
1: And I'm Gypsy.
0: Talking about ghost towns, graveyards, outlaws, heroes, and ladies of the night. Howdy folks, thanks for joining us for yet another adventure. Today we are taking you out west, to the old west, where the tumbleweeds and gravestones outnumber the folks still living there. Before we jump into the episode, would like to thank you all. April was a record-breaking month for us, and we are ever so grateful. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. So thank you to each of you that have been with us from the beginning, and for all of you new listeners, welcome, and thank you as well.
1: Yes. Thank you so much. All right. So let's get into it. About a mile down the hill from Virginia City, Nevada, is a small mining town called Gold Hill. In its heyday, the town boasted over 8,000 residents. Today, there are less than 200 people living there. Kind of a big change in the people there. A little bit. Gold Hill got its start about the same time as Virginia City. James Old Virginia Finney. That's a long name there.
0: <laughs> Old Virginia, yeah.
1: That was his nickname because they said he came from Virginia.
0: That would make some sense. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then Peter O'Reilly and Patrick McLaughlin were out prospecting and discovered a ledge of high grade gold ore. They staked out a claim to the area and headed to record the findings. Henry P.T. Comstock happened upon the men and insisted he'd been there when they found it. Of course he did. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I was right there with you.
1: Exactly. Remember, (laughs) ma'am?
0: Yeah, I was standing right behind you. You didn't see me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, rather than argue with him, they decided to cut him in on the find. Comstock got to the town faster than they did and started telling everyone that he found silver in the area and it was quickly known as the Comstock. Mm -hmm. From the Comstock load came several mines and towns. Gold Hill was one of the towns and today we're going to share some history about it. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, the first buildings to go up in town were a boarding house and a restaurant built by L.E. Oram. I'm guessing that's how we say the name. It's spelled E-I-L-L-E-Y. Mm-hmm. Ellie was the best I could come up with. (laughs) So she would later go on to marry Sandy Bowers and become one of the richest women in the West during her lifetime. When folks were first arriving in the area, they would set up tents and camp. By 1860, there were now 179 permanent structures and a population boost up to 638, of which only 14 of them were gals.
1: I wonder if they were working women.
0: I would say there's a percentage of them, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> aside from Ellie, because she she actually was a Mormon that moved out there. Is that right? Yeah.
0: So the boarding house was actually for boarding overnight, then, huh? Not just hourly.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, she opened it like a legit typed hotel out there, mm. and she's a pretty interesting lady. We we have it on the list to go and visit the house that they have out there, right, and learn more about her. So. Maybe one day we'll do an episode on her too. So
0: yeah, yeah the list is big.
1: <laughs> and ever growing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it didn't take long for Gold Hill to grow. Five months later, the town had more than doubled in size. On December seventeenth, eighteen sixty two, the community was incorporated. They were trying to group Gold Hill into Virginia City and Gold Hill didn't want to be a part of it. Oh. So they made their own little town. Mm-hmm. So three years later, in 1865, the town had turned from a tent city into a civilized community. They had three metal manufacturing plants, two banks, four stage offices, and three churches. The Gold Hill Daily News was in its second year of publication.
0: Sounds like a bona fide city. hmm Well, 1869 was an exciting and prosperous time for the town. The Virginia and Truckee Railroad was expanding and its route passed through and above Gold Hill. In order for them to cross the Crown Point Ravine, they had to build these massive trestles out on the western edge of town. These trestles were built out of wood and they were used to carry the V&T trains over the ravine. This area was the highest and longest trestle on the entire line.
1: One story goes that connecting trains from San Francisco refused to let their passenger cars cross the trestles. The train would stop just before them, make the passengers get off, and then take a wagon the rest of the way into Virginia City. I would be pretty pissed off if I paid for a train ride all the way to Virginia City, and then they're like, well, here we stop.
0: Sorry it's raining out there, but— Excuse me? (laughs) We've got to try.
1: It's not what I paid you for. (laughs) Yeah, got to get across this ravine. Yeah. Well, this was the way that things worked until George Pullman came into town.
0: Yeah, we told you about George Pullman in episode uh, 37. So check that out if you haven't heard it yet. He's a pretty yeah. interesting fellow.
1: Yep. Well, George Pullman visited the Comstock and proclaimed the trestles safe enough to cross and took his own car across the trestles.
0: But without a thousand passengers, so I'm yeah. sure he felt fine.
1: Yeah, he's like, I got this.
0: Yeah, we can do this. The timber for the trestles was brought in from the Sierra Nevada mountains. When it was completed, it was 351 feet long, 85 feet in the air. So eight stories high.
1: Wow. (laughs) Wow. Eight and a
0: half stories, roughly.
1: I didn't put that together until Mm you said that just now.
0: Yeah. And it had a grade of 115 feet per mile. They used 184,538 board feet of lumber, which comes to about 19,280 pounds, and numerous bolts, pins, nuts, cables, all that to hold it all together. So when the track was completed, they had a walkway built along the side of it. In August of 1875, a three-mile-an-hour restriction was put into place to cross this. You can pretty much walk faster than the train can cross it. Yeah. In an attempt to make the trestle safer in early 1877, they rebuilt the trestles during the night to avoid interference with the trains coming. So they lowered the walkway 12 feet below the track and installed water barrels for fire protection.
1: Yeah, I found a website. It's actually pretty cool, and it went over, like, the history of how this trestle was built. Mm Mm-hmm. And the guy drew out all these like pictures showing you, okay, when it was first built, it was a, I can't remember how he, like the terminology, but it had like V's in it. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, the first one was this style v trestle. Then they rebuilt it and added this many more V's in it. Then they rebuilt it again. They rebuilt it a couple times, Mm -hmm. and I think it would be so cool to see that in person. Yeah, absolutely. As you'll find out, it no longer exists. You cannot. (laughs) Well, these trestles were in use until January 8th, 1935. They were very well maintained and didn't fail because of the design or materials. Mining in the town started back up again in the 1930s, and the ravine was filled in. The mine that was right there Dumped all their tailings into the ravine. Brilliant. Yeah. So the trestles were taken down and relayed on top of the dirt in 1936. The rail line was once again abandoned when mining stopped. The rail lines were then torn up and the area remained empty of tracks until 2005. The Virginia and Truckee Railroad Company, along with Story County and Carson City, came together to raise funds to rebuild the rail line. Today, you can take a four-mile round-trip ride from Virginia City to Gold Hill. And if you have more time, you can take a 24-mile round-trip ride from Virginia City to Carson City.
0: Yeah, we've seen the train run, but we've never been there long enough to dedicate. Yeah. I feel like it's a half a day almost to do the 24-mile run on it.
1: Yeah, I think it was. It said like it was four hours or something yeah. to ride the train. Yeah. Which yeah. would be fun because um, I don't feel like the train follows the road.
0: No, so I think it actually be- goes through the hill over to Truckee itself.
1: Okay. So it'd be a whole back. different scenery.
0: Well, yeah, If you've taken the train ride, guys, let us know. So Tell us yeah. all if it's worth it.
1: Yeah. Well, and the Gold Hill Hotel talks a lot about how the train depot is right there by it. Mm-hmm. So if you stay at the hotel, then you can take the train right over into Virginia City, which is smart because there's not a lot of parking in Virginia City. Right. So the train will just drop you off right there.
0: Yeah, it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Well, mining during this time was very dangerous, like it always was back in them, yeah. back in them old days. Uh, there wasn't any open pit mining like we see more of today. Rather, they would just dig a hole in the ground, and if gold or silver was found, they would continue to dig down and follow the vein until the vein disappeared or shifted. This means the men were digging underground in tunnels. They had only the light they brought with them, poor ventilation, and dangerous conditions. These men were faced with poisonous gases, explosions, floods, the mine collapsing and even fire
1: yeah pretty dangerous stuff they were doing Mm -hmm. the yellow jacket mine experienced one of the most devastating mine disasters the state of nevada had ever seen it was the morning of april 7th 1869 when a fire broke out at the 800 foot level of the mine
0: 800 feet down
1: yeah that's insane (laughs) this mine was a thousand feet deep so the fire started rather close to the bottom of the mine Someone actually had actually left a candle burning on the wall right next to the timber. Mm-hmm. Pretty um, unsafe of them. Yeah. Uh, they would use large pieces of wood to support the walls of the mine to help keep it from collapsing in. And the timber caught on fire and started to spread. Oops. Yeah. As the mine walls started to collapse and crumble, poisonous gases were released.
0: Firefighters and fellow miners rushed into the mine to try and save the men that were trapped inside. Fortunately, the fire went ablaze during a shift change, so there were not as many men inside the mine that there could have been. Some reports claim that 35 men lost their lives. Other reports say 70 men perished in the fire. One report stated that only 34 bodies were recovered, which there might have been double that that weren't recovered. Hard to say. Yeah. So the fire in the mine continued to burn for several years before it finally distinguished.
1: Yeah, that's insane to burn that long. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I mean, how are you going to get water down in there? To put it out, yeah. you know, it'd be difficult to fight a fire like that.
0: Yeah, it's not like you're just, they dug a well and they just go straight up and down and can fill it up with water or anything like that. It's tunnels and tunnels and tunnels. Yeah. It's wild.
1: Yeah, super scary. Yeah. Well, and the fact that they don't know like an exact number of how many men die. I think about the explosion in Montana mm-hmm. that we talked about, not on the podcast, but just in general. hmm And how they said they didn't know an exact number because there were so many transient people that would come into town. And I think that that may have been the same thing there where it's like, I don't know. We should have had this many people there, but I can't verify anything.
0: Mm -hmm. So,
1: yeah, I can see how they wouldn't know an exact number.
0: No time clock like we have today.
1: Yeah. Yep. Well, this event was so tragic that the morning Oregonian in Portland wrote about it saying...
0: The calamity at Gold Hill, April 8th, 9 p.m. The fire in Gold Hill mines still continues to burn as bad as ever, owing to a cave-in in in the Yellow Jacket. The firemen cannot reach the fire. Every effort is being made to clear the drift. Eighteen dead bodies have been taken out of the drifts and the shafts of the burning mine. Nine lay together where they had climbed to a drift 100 feet above the 1,000-foot level. Two of the miners killed. John Hogan and Joseph McLellan were members of the Virginia Fire Department. Funeral this afternoon. In
1: 1876, John McKay and his partners purchased the yellow jacket and started digging a new shaft. Three years later, the shaft had reached a level of 3,080
0: feet. That's insane.
1: Yeah. As momentous as this was, it also created problems for them. The men had struck water with temperatures reaching 170 degrees. What do we keep our hot tub at, like 104?
0: 104 is the hottest, yeah.
1: Yeah, (laughs) so 170. Uh The pumps were not able to keep up with the flow of water. And by January 1881, all the mines in Gold Hill that were 2,300 feet deep were flooded and mining had to stop. Yeah, Isn't yep. that part of what ended Tombstone, too?
0: Uh-huh. Yep. And they hit the water level in there, and they flooded, and they couldn't keep up with it. They mm-hmm. eventually did get some pumps, but keeping the pumps going was tough for them, too. But yeah. yeah. In 1869, Adolph Sutro had begun construction on the Sutro Tunnel. The tunnel started in Dayton and connected the Savage Mine in Virginia City. From there, it started to branch off to other surrounding mines. The idea of the tunnel was to provide a way for water to run off, alleviating the need for so many pumps. It was also a way to provide ventilation into the mines as well as allow the men a safe way out of the mines if something were to happen, like another fire. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Sutro Tunnel connected the Yellow Jacket Mine, providing easier drainage, allowing the folks to continue to go deeper into the mine because, you know, 3,000 feet wasn't deep enough. Right.
1: Uh. Um, They are actually in the process of restoring the entrance to the Sutro Tunnel. Oh, really? And they are making it so you can go tour it. Parts of it, they have like the Sutro Tunnel Friends of Foundation or something like that. Oh, really?
0: Do you yeah. see this on Instagram or?
1: I don't know if they have an Instagram or Facebook. I just found their website. Huh. So, I yeah. do, actually, they do have a Facebook.
0: I've got, uh, I'm on the Virginia City Instagram page, so I see quite a bit of stuff from them. And maybe it's come up. I don't spend much time on it, but.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just in the last few years that they had started the preservation project on it. Hmm. And they were saying that there's also a lot of buildings and houses still out in that area that they're trying to, like, open up for people to be able to go tour. That'd be cool. Uh Uh-huh. Kind of fun. I love that people are trying to preserve our history Mm -hmm. rather than tear it down and destroy it. Right. (laughs) You see it a lot more in these smaller towns than, like, big cities. You know, they just tear everything down in big cities. Yeah. Okay. So on February 12th, 1882, fast-moving hot water once again started making its way into the mines. This flooded all the mines in Gold Hill once again, and mining stopped. There were several arguments as to who should pay for the pumps to empty out the mines. Ultimately, the pumps were shut off, and the deepest levels of the mines were flooded, and have since been that way. I think it would be pretty cool if they uh, still had hot water in there, and then they turned the mine into like an underground hot spring for people to go and soak in, Mm -hmm. like those caves and stuff.
0: Yeah, that'd be fun. Not likely, but it'd be fun.
1: Yeah, pretty dangerous to do that, but <laughs> A little bit. The concept's there, right?
0: <laughs> right. Well, with the mines unable to produce materials, the town of Gold Hill began to close down. One by one, the mines shut down, businesses closed up, and the town folk began to move away. In 1920, Jacket and several mines around it were purchased by the United Comstock Mines Company. The company also went to work building a one million half million four-story cyanide mill at American Flats. The mill was completed in 1922 and was made of reinforced concrete. So we was trying to think cyanide is just a poison. What are they doing here? Are they mm-hmm. actually making, you know, are they milling the plants down or whatever? But what it is is cyanide will basically separate the ore from the mineral you're after, so the silver or the gold. And so they're taking their crushed ore, shipping it down to this mill, and then processing. So the cyanide is used at this point to separate it. But I'm like, are they manufacturing cyanide? What? do yeah. they have here, but
1: yeah, so. you asked me that, and I'm like, I don't know. This is what it says it is this is a cyanide yeah. mill. Yeah, why so, are you questioning me? So I had
0: to find out because that was kind of a, a curious thing for sure. Yeah. On well, this area, they built houses all around the mill. They had a store there, post office, a school. They basically made a whole little town there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mill was set up as a working town and a hell of a great concept when they did it. Yeah. Unfortunately, with the price of silver dropping, the mill only stayed in operation for four years before they had to shut it back down. So everything that was salvageable and sellable at the mill was hauled off, leaving behind just a concrete structure.
1: Can you imagine building a $1.5 million building back in 1922 and only operating it for four years?
0: I can't imagine buying a house and you're only in it for a couple of years, you know?
1: Yeah, I know. That's crazy to me. You
0: know, if the price of silver dropped. We've got to go.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, in 2014, the building was actually torn down and hauled off. Mm. I found a video, and we'll link it in the show notes, that gives you some history of this building. Mm -hmm. The video is only about 20 minutes long, and it's rather interesting because they interview people that grew up in the area, and they talk about their time growing up with a mill and going out to the area, and they would slough school out there. They said, like, towards the 80s is when people started um, spray painting graffiti all over, Mm -hmm. and they were doing a lot of photo shoots out there Um, because it was a cool background with all of the rubble and the spray paint and everything. Mm -hmm. So pretty interesting to see all that. So we'll definitely link it. And then they also have a virtual reality experience you can try out if you have a VR headset. Um, We haven't tried it yet, but we need to get our headsets out and do it.
0: Yeah, I think we probably would have to just launch a browser and go to their website in it to turn it on, because they Mm -hmm. had it set up to where you could do one of those cardboard deals around your phone, so it isn't going to be a full immersive yeah. It's probably more panoramic uh, photos and drone footage, stuff like that, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It'd be cool, though. it be mm-hmm. fun. Worth checking out.
1: The website itself was cool, too. They had these little dots on the maps. So you could click on the dots, and it would tell you like what part of the mill that was and what they did there at that part of the mill.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll link uh, that website, too. Mm-hmm. In 1935, operations at the Yellow Jacket Mill started up again for a short time. It was provide an ore for the Crown Point Mill that was in operation until 1942. Today, all that remains of the mill are some hoists and a few old buildings around there. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of the buildings have been converted into rooms to rent, owned and operated by the Gold Hill Hotel.
1: Yeah, so the Gold Hill Hotel is the oldest hotel in the state of Nevada.
0: I bet you there's a, a handful of them.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: I always see the largest, world's largest tree. I've seen two of them. Yeah. <laughs> Which one is it?
1: Well, and then there was, like, arguments about what was, like, the oldest town in Nevada. Mm-hmm. There's arguments about, like, what's the oldest bar in Nevada.
0: Yeah, didn't we go to one of the – it was the oldest bar in Nevada just outside of Prim somewhere, that little tiny yeah. desert town. The, like I Good don't even know if, Yeah, I don't think it was even a town. It was just a bar.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but then there's, like, another bar that's over by Dayton mm-hmm. that says that they're the oldest. Yeah. So –
0: yeah. They're all the oldest. <laughs> well, at the time, the two of us were the only ones there. I was the oldest person in a, the oldest bar in Nevada. Yeah. So, yeah. You're
1: That's, I thought you were only 29.
0: Yeah. Everybody else was just puppies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the Gold Hill Hotel, it was originally called the Risen House, and it was built in 1861. It operated as a hotel in the, until the mines closed and people moved away. The building was then used as a personal residence. And then in 1958, Fred and Dorothy Inmore purchased the hotel. And in 1987, they added a wood structure that has a kitchen, a restaurant, a front desk. And then they added eight more rooms onto the hotel.
0: Mm-hmm. Were you saying that this is the one where the original rooms don't have heating or cooling? And so yeah. these added eight ones that have more modern amenities to it?
1: Yeah, they have... Um, they were able to, like, pump air conditioning into those rooms. I think they said they had TVs in those rooms. Fancy. Where the original building, the rooms in the original building, they don't have TV. Um, I'm pretty sure you still have your own bathroom in there. They did add a bathroom into the room, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. The walls were so thick that to try and drill holes through the walls to add all this power and ducting for heating and air conditioning is really difficult. Mm-hmm. So, I think you have like a ceiling fan, and then your windows can open to let the air blow through in the summer when it's hot.
0: be like camping in the van.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. When it's hot,
0: it's hot. When it's cold, it's cold. Yep. <laughs> well, after the renovations, in addition to the hotel, Bill and Carol Fane purchased a building and ran the hotel for 25 years before selling it to the Comstock Mining Company in 2011. The hotel is now owned by Tony and Jill Clough. They still have a bar in the hotel as well as a restaurant. There are several accounts that Mark Twain would come and enjoy a drink at the bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't know, Mark Twain became Mark Twain in Virginia City. Yeah. Uh, prior to that, he was just Samuel Clemens. Uh, but he picked up the pen name Mark Twain while he was working out there for a newspaper, writing and all that. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't read the book Roughing It by Mark Twain, it talks about all his time out here in the Virginia City area.
1: Oh, fun! No. I don't think I've read that one. Have you heard it?
0: Oh, yeah, a couple times. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and these towns are so close that it would make sense that he would be in one or the other towns.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And being working for the newspaper, he's always been bouncing back and forth. So.
1: Yeah, because you got to get all the up-to-date,
0: mm, up-to-date events. I'm pretty sure I have uh, roughing it on the audiobook too. So, remind me, next road trip, Ron, we'll play it. Yeah. It isn't that big of a book, so.
1: Well, we still haven't finished the, what's the ones we've been listening to?
0: The Dark Tower series? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, We're not ever going to finish that a couple hours at a time. It's 100 hours of audiobook there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so we'll do roughing and then we'll go back to the Dark Tower. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so at the hotel, you can not only stay there, but you can also have your wedding there. Kind of fun. Oh. So they have four of the original rooms for rent, which are the four rooms that we talked about that are not, you know, modern amenities like Mm -hmm. you would expect. And then they have the eight rooms that are in the new building. Mm -hmm. They have the two converted buildings that they now call the miners' cabins that we just talked about that were part of the Yellow Jacket mine. Mm -hmm. And if I remember correctly, those two buildings were used as like the break room for the men that worked at the mine. Okay. And then they also have a house to rent that's across the street from the hotel and a bullion lodge that is across the street from the hotel as well. Each of the rooms is decorated differently and offers different amenities.
0: Well, there are several stories about the hotel being haunted, of course. And it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to think that a place that old wouldn't be haunted.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, the miners' cabins are said to have a lot of strange activities inside.
1: Yeah, possibly it's the miners that were trapped in the yellow jacket when it went up in flames.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they might be around there, stopping mm-hmm. in for a cup of coffee. Yep. Their old break room. <laughs> well, there are also stories of room four being haunted by a gal named Rosie and room five haunted by a, some other man. Yeah. Unidentified.
1: They, they think that maybe he was another miner that mm-hmm. haunts that how the, the room. Mm-hmm. And then the room four named Rosie, the room itself is called Rosie, too. So if you want to stay in that room. It's the Rosie Room.
0: Ask for the Rosie Room.
1: Yeah, and it's all pink inside.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny because wasn't it Rosie was the prostitute that killed, that died anyway in the bathtub at the room that we stayed in in Virginia City at the Silver Dollar?
1: I think so. I feel
0: like her name was Rosie as well. I do think so. Lots of Rosies in this area.
1: Well, that's an easy name to take on to as an alias.
0: hmm Something nefarious is happening here. <laughs>
1: Well, none of the stories that I read about the hauntings led me to think that they're mean spirits. All the stories were just about the ghosts kind of playing pranks on people, you know, moving their stuff and things like that, turning lights on and off. Mm,
0: Closing doors.
1: Yeah, nothing scary to make you feel like you shouldn't go there, you know?
0: Right, making it air conditioned only when it's freezing outside. (coughs) Jerks.
1: Breaking your heater.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There are also stories of the Yellow Jacket mine being haunted as well. Folks talk about seeing glowing blue and white orbs around the entrance of the main shaft.
1: Yeah, the main shaft is now fenced off to prevent people from falling in the tunnels. But some people have still gone up to the openings and they claim that you can hear men crying out for help. I wonder if it's like when you put your ear to a seashell and you can hear the ocean.
0: Mm -hmm, But it's it's yelling and screaming instead.
1: Yeah, if it's like that, (laughs) you're like... I hear yelling. Yeah. <laughs> the town of Gold Hill. Well, we have huh?
0: so many portable recorders and a, a drone that is kind of way out of date. We could probably risk it. Yeah. See if we can fly it down the mine. Yeah. That'd Just be fun.
1: Let the recorder hang there for a few minutes and see if we pick up anything.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. That would be kind of fun, huh?
0: Yeah. I'm really into Risk losing the one drone for something awesome. If we can get the recorder back, we'll have to think about how that's going to work out.
1: You know, it would be like super freaky Is <laughs> if the drone was down there like hovering in the shaft. And then all of a sudden like a hen reaches up and grabs it and pulls it down. <laughs> right. That's when I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Get in the car. I don't care that we booked a hotel room. We're leaving. We're done. <laughs> well, the town of Gold Hill as well as Virginia City claim to be some of the most haunted areas in Nevada. And every other Wednesday, the Gold Hill Hotel has a ghost hunting event. So maybe one day we can get out there and see what the event is all about. Mm -hmm. And actually stay in the, maybe stay in the haunted miner's cabin this time.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that'd be cool. We didn't
1: get to stay in the Gold Hill Hotel because we stayed in Virginia City Mm -hmm. and booked like three nights there.
0: Yeah, when we were doing the Silver Dollar, which we also had a podcast episode about that one too. That was Mm -hmm. a cool story. Yep. Yeah, we could definitely spend another... Two, three weeks out there and just hang out and check out all the little tiny things, it'd be awesome. But yeah. now's not that time. In the future.
1: <laughs> yep. Definitely.
0: So Gold Hill, Nevada is just a shell of a town from what it once was. As folks moved away, those that stayed in town did whatever they could to survive. Several other wood buildings were torn down for either firewood or to build another building in a different town. Today, when you go to visit Gold Hill, you can see what's left of the Gold Hill Bank, several restored houses the Yellow Jacket Mine, and the restored and functioning V&T Railroad Depot, as well as the Gold Hill Hotel. The only place to eat or grab a drink in town is at the hotel. The town's really just a ghost town now mm-hmm. anymore, not much there. So, yeah. In the 20 years that Gold Hill was at its peak, the Yellow Jacket Mine, Crown Point Mine, and Belcher Mine brought in over $10 million each in dividends. Uh, not really having a specific date, I just threw in uh, 1890 for a conversion, and so based on that, that run you about 315 million collectively today. Wow! Yeah, so 100 million each over.
1: Yeah, that's a good amount of money for them. Mm-hmm. Well, when we went to visit Gold Hill, we were staying at Virginia City, like we've said a couple times now, mm-hmm. and we spent the entire day in Virginia City exploring the Silver Terrace Cemetery,
0: which is big. Yeah, lots to explore.
1: I still feel like we miss stuff at that cemetery. Oh, yeah.
0: We could spend a few more days there for yeah. sure. Yeah.
1: And side note the Silver Terrace Cemetery has a little, like an audio map that you can download. Mm-hmm. It's like $2 to download it. They say it's a $2 donation.
0: <laughs> yeah. We did that, right? Because yeah. we had our e bikes out there uh-huh. and we had a plane and it would yeah. bounce around.
1: So you could click on a, a location, it would take you to it, and then it would tell you about those people. Mm-hmm. Which was super cool. And I feel like there was, like, probably 40 people on that map.
0: Yeah. yeah it was a like
1: good amount. Quite a spread. hmm But yeah. that cemetery is huge.
0: Yeah. If you have an electric bike, I recommend taking it. Yeah. <laughs> we couldn't have survived it. I yeah. can Yeah. My legs don't do that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, so the next day, we went for a drive around to several of the smaller towns in the area. And, of course, we stopped at the cemeteries. Today, the Gold Hill Cemetery is on BLM land, but the Comstock Cemetery Foundation manages it, as well as the Silver Terrace Cemetery in Virginia City. Mm. And they have recently added a new gate to the Gold Hill Cemetery, and I don't believe that it was there when we went to visit.
0: Yeah, there wasn't much of a… Fencer gate or anything when we went there. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. had to find a break in the desert grass out there to <laughs> find where we go in.
1: The new gate's cool. It's got that big arch in it and then it says Gold Hill in it. Is that right? Yeah, it's all cool. metal and stuff. So pretty nice. fun. Very cool. So the first stat that I could find that is recorded in the area of Gold Hill was John Jessup.
0: Well, John was a very well-liked man by most and was <laughs> stabbed to death by the one man that didn't like him. William sides. <laughs> William was given the choice to leave the area or be killed. He, of course, chose to run away. Yeah. Uh, John, the well liked man, he was working his claim on the surface of the Comstock when William killed him. This is before the big silver strike was made, so it wasn't that big of a deal out there. But he was probably finding some gold or some silver yeah. and. Uh, This other fellow was a little jealous and thought it'd be easier to just kill him and take his stuff, probably. Yeah. Well, John was buried in the canyon in front of the soon-to-be Crown Point mine. A wagon road was opened up, which ran right on top of his grave, and it soon became the main road into Gold Hill. So in the winter of 1860-61, to W.C. DeVoe, John Overman, and William Hickman Dolman exhumed his body and had him reinterred in the Gold Hill Cemetery.
1: Yeah, so when the Gold Hill Cemetery was first established, it was before Silver Terrace and Virginia City came about. It had a beautifully manicured landscape, planted trees, and flowers. It would probably be interesting to see that in a desert area.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: (laughs) The entire cemetery was irrigated with water from the Sierra Nevada mountain range. Today, the cemetery is full of dirt, sagebrush, and dry desert grass, nothing like it was before.
0: And dead bodies. (laughs) <laughs> there's your dad joke folks yeah. got I, that out of the way
1: I did did forget to add the dead bodies in there <laughs> yeah. in 1997 both of the cemeteries were in bad condition many of the headstones had been broken or stolen the weather had taken its toll on the wooden headstones and cribs and to top it all off a fire went through the area destroying even more of the cemetery
0: yeah no, not good well, we went to the cemetery uh, initially to visit the Jones kids, mm-hmm. and we left with one of the most interesting experiences we've had in this cemetery, I think. Yeah. Well, before we get into what happened with us, let's tell you about the Jones kids, why we went down there. So, Robert and Jane came to the area in the early 1860s from Iowa. They had a total of nine children with their first oldest child, Henry, born on July 19th, 1857 in Iowa before the family moved out west. Robert started working as a miner, and the family also owned a farm and a ranch that they ran.
1: Yeah, I read one source that said the family had two ranches. Mm-hmm. One was located in South Truckee Meadows, and then the second was located just outside of American Flats.
0: I'm mm-hmm. yep, doing pretty good for themselves, then. Eh?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Either way, just a farm and a ranch or two ranches. It's hard to say. Yeah, doing pretty well. Well, on March 26, 1860, Robert and Jane had a second son named Robert Franklin.
1: He was born in Gold Hill, and I almost wonder if Jane was pregnant with him when they moved out west.
0: Likely. I think the women back then were always pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like the children were born nine months and a week apart.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) All right, you ready? Let's make another one. Well,
1: they had nine kids. Uh You're not stopping.
0: (laughs) No. While well, John James followed Robert being born on March 21st, 1862, making him the third child and the third son.
1: On December 21st, 1871, when Henry was 14 years old and John was nine, their father sent them out during a snowstorm to bring back a lost cow. And then we also read that the father sent word for the two boys who were working on the other farm to bring the cattle down to American Flats and join the family for Christmas.
0: Yeah, so a couple of conflicting stories. But yeah,
1: either way, these boys are out in a snowstorm.
0: <laughs> yeah, so while the two boys were either out looking for the lost cow or were on the way back to the farm to be with the family, a snowstorm came through the area and the kids weren't yet home. A search team was formed, but the storm made it very difficult for them to see anything. On December 24th, Christmas Eve, a single horse was spotted in the distance. As the men approached the area, they noticed the horse standing by a snow mound. Not snowman. It's a snow mound. I know what you were going to say. Beneath the snow, they found the two (laughs) boys frozen to death. Their trusty horse would not leave their side and stayed near to watch over them. That's kind of an awesome part. Yeah. Uh, The two boys were laid side by side in the Masonic section of the cemetery.
1: So tragedy for the family would not end there. On September 29th, 1877, six-year-old George Frederick and Cora Elizabeth passed away from diphtheria.
0: On the same day. Yeah. That's shitty.
1: I know. The poor Jones family lost two sons on the same day six years prior, only to lose two more kids on the same day again.
0: Yeah. Brutal.
1: What are the odds of that?
0: (laughs) Pretty slim. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So Cora and George joined their two older brothers in the same plot. You would think that this would be all for this unfortunate family, but it was not. July 17th, 1878, seven-month-old Alice Elizabeth passed away from St. Vitus Dance. Today, this disease is called sydenum chorea. Sorry, I probably said that wrong. <laughs>
0: You get it, right? Yeah.
1: So when a child gets this, it causes them to have involuntary and irregular movements of all the muscles in the body except the eyes, probably where the dance part comes from, maybe because they're oh, yeah. jerking around and moving a lot.
0: But their eyes are locked on yours? Yeah. Very seductive. <laughs>
1: It is usually caused by an inflammatory response to strep throat or rheumatic fever. Alice was placed in the plot with her older brothers and sister.
0: So this poor family, the Jones family, has now lost five of their children. These are not the Joneses you want to be keeping up with.
1: No, definitely not.
0: (laughs) Well, tragedy would strike the family again just two months later. September 14th of 1878, their oldest daughter, Diana Mary, committed suicide at the age of 14. Just probably way too much for her. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Well, she too was laid to rest with her siblings in the Masonic section. With six of their kids now buried in the cemetery and the town slowly shutting down, the rest of the family decided to get out of there and go to Reno. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the mid 1970s, the Jones kids' headstone was stolen. Assholes. Right now. The Cemetery Foundation has been working for years at trying to preserve the cemetery. They were able to get a photo from a hiker who had taken a picture of the headstone. In 2001, the foundation used the photo to create a replica of the headstone. So we were talking about this a little bit. We take a lot more pictures of a lot more things and go a lot more places than what we talk about on this podcast. Mm -hmm. And obviously, we're interested in history. So... If you're part of a foundation and doing any restorations, and we also are networked with another handful of people Mm -hmm. and a lot of cemetery lovers that are always out, if you guys have something, because we've been doing this for. Way longer than we've been doing. We, we did a podcast because this is what we do. Yeah. And I've always done. So we have pictures and pictures and pictures and have been so many places. And we'll hear about things that have shut down and now it's gone or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, wow. Well, I'm glad we were there, to, you know, when we got the chance to see it. Mm-hmm. I've got pictures of nuclear power plants that are no longer exist, you know, things like yeah. that. So if you're out looking for it, reach out. Reach out to us or anybody either that runs this sort of a thing. You know, yeah, great resources for it. So
1: yeah, I love that. That's how they were able to recreate this headstone. Was just somebody else taking a picture, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that person was just out doing what we do. Yep, and took a picture of it. Yeah, <laughs> you know. happened to have the information they mm-hmm. needed, so that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, so the headstone is pretty much an exact replica of it. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of fun that they did that. Yeah. Well, the story gets a little more interesting. In nineteen seventy eight, Jean Mickelson found a headstone near her mailbox.
0: Yeah, the postman must have fell out of his (laughs) (laughs) truck.
1: Returned to sender. It just happened to happen. Uh, she didn't know what to do with it, so she contacted her pastor at her church. He took the headstone from her and put it in the Two Rock Church in
0: Petaluma, California.
1: Yep. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> the headstone laid in the back of the church until the mid-1990s when someone thought it would be a good idea to place it in the Two Rock Church Cemetery. I love that this church has a cemetery, too. Mm-hmm. So someone must be watching out for these Jones children because one year, Brad Duvall was out on a tour of the Two Rock Cemetery, and he was very interested in this headstone. It was just kind of leaning up against this tree, and he started doing some research on it, and he was able to find that the headstone belonged to the Gold Hill Cemetery and that it was the Jones kids' headstone.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, kind of crazy. In Petaluma, California, we were looking at it. It's north of San Francisco. Mm Mm-hmm. So, it's quite a stretch. To, yeah. You're not going out to Gold Hill to randomly just steal this headstone and then take it back. So, possibly somebody traveling through and just some kids or whatever. decided this would be a fun thing to steal, I guess. Yeah. Lame, but whatever. But were they getting a bunch of uh tricks being played on them? Or is their car now haunted? <laughs> and it's like, get this out of the car. Yeah. Holy shit.
1: Just threw it out the window. Yeah. Okay, we're done with this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. that's a random prank to play on somebody otherwise. Like, I don't know, there's this headstone by my mailbox. Yeah. Weird.
1: Well, there's that one guy, the uh, cannibal guy in Colorado. We stopped and seen his headstone. Mm-hmm. I don't remember his name now.
0: Out there in Littleton. I think yeah. that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Just a Colorado cannibal. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And they said that for a while there on Halloween the town kids would dig up his headstone. Yeah. And then they would like doorbell ditch people with his headstone <laughs> sitting there. <laughs> so they finally like cemented the thing in right. there so it's like impossible now to steal it.
0: Yeah, without a <laughs> tractor. Need a backhoe to get it out. Yeah. When the headstone was eventually returned to the Comstock Cemetery members, they were in for a surprise when they found out that Henry and John were not the only children buried in the area. On the back of the headstone were the names of George, Cora Malice, and Diana. The Comstock Foundation has since gone back and added the names of the other children on the back of the replica headstone. So today, when you go visit, there will more than likely be a pile of toys and stuffed animals left behind for the kids.
1: Yeah, super fun.
0: So it's still the replica headstone in the cemetery, and it's the, uh, what is it, the Comstock Comstock uh, Foundation Foundation has the actual headstone inside their storage or in their museum?
1: Yeah. Yeah, they have like a little building in Virginia City, and from my understanding, that's where they have it stored is in there.
0: They were closed when we were there. Mm-hmm. Most things are closed when we happen to be there, though.
1: <laughs> well, and in their defense, when we went to Virginia City and spent a bunch of time there, it was like a big event going on for the town. Right. And so they and were also, all out doing that event. Yeah. So That's true. Yeah. It wasn't that we went in off-season. We were there on the on-season, oddly enough. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's a rare thing. But it was also COVID stuff, too, though, right? Uh,
1: Yeah. Beginning of COVID? I think so. Yeah. Well, the headstone is not the only one the Comstock Foundation has had returned to them. As we mentioned before, the cemetery has fallen into disrepair, not only from Mother Nature taking its toll on it, but from people being assholes, really, Mm -hmm. and stealing things. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, When the foundation receives stolen property from the cemetery, the item is usually included with a letter saying,
0: Take this back. Ever since it's been in my life, I've had nothing but bad luck.
1: (laughs) Get it out of my life. Uh As we wandered around the cemetery exploring what was left of it, I discovered a wooden crib with a headstone that had been knocked over and was laying flat. And I was attempting to read the headstone and then stepped back to take a picture of it. And as I stepped back, I almost fell into a hole right next to the crib. So being the curious person I am, I got down to see what was digging in the hole, you know, maybe see a rattlesnake or a scary wombat. A what? A wombat. A wombat. (laughs) <laughs> did they have this there? The chupacabra? <laughs> okay. Well, inside the hole, I did not find a chupacabra. I found some odd-looking pieces of metal. So I picked them up and I called Drifter over to come look at them.
0: Yeah. So when I got there, I started to look at the pieces and realized these are coffin parts.
1: Yeah, that blew my mind when you said that. I'm like, what?
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, and it's hard to describe, but we have some pictures of stuff. Mm -hmm. So Gypsy had got down and started looking more in the hole to see what else she could find. And lo and behold, she found more parts of the coffin. So she was able to find a piece that holds the wooden handle on the coffin, kind of the, if you were to carry the coffin, is what we found a bigger part of, I guess. Yeah. So the handle back then, it would have slid through these metal pieces. It would have been a wooden coffin and a wooden dowel through this metal hardware. And so, what we found was an end cap of that dowel, basically, mm-hmm. that would have been the handle, and part of the, uh,
1: yeah, the, other part, the, the like piece that melt. attaches
0: to the coffin and uh-huh. the handle. Yeah. And yeah. that was the hinged part there. So. Yeah. And
1: then you would pick the handle up to pick it up, mm-hmm. and that piece on the coffin would rotate.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, there was still wood inside the cap there. It was pretty rotted, but
1: mm-hmm. it, I think there was like string wrapped around it, too, or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, And the part that held the handle onto the casket was still able to open and close, but it was clearly like a a wombat. (laughs) A wombat did that. (laughs) Digging a hole, probably not a rattlesnake with feet that big, but uh, maybe you would have saw one.
1: We do have to be careful for rattlesnakes in areas like that, especially like cemeteries, because nobody's there doing anything to kind of scare the, the snakes away, you know?
0: Yeah, they don't care.
1: No. And the fire ants, too. I'm sure they were there, too.
0: Yeah, we carry a pistol for the fire ants. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, hope we don't find any snakes. <laughs> You're like a magnet for ants in cemeteries.
1: I am. Oh my gosh, it's bad. Yeah. So there was kind of this part of us that you know we wanted to take these pieces home and put them on display. They were so cool. Mm-hmm. But the more we thought about it, the more we decided it would just be a terrible idea to bring this home. You know, it's not ours. What we can't take it. Mm-hmm. So, we ended up trying to throw them in as far as possible back into the hole, and then we proceeded to bury them with the dirt around the opening
0: right no, we didn't want anybody else taking them either, but
1: yeah, yep, that was exactly it. So we actually found this towards the end of our explorations of the cemetery and The more time we spent there, I started getting a really upset stomach. Mm -hmm. And once we got to the car, we said a little prayer. We have a little prayer that we say every time we go to cemeteries that doesn't let things come home with us. Mm -hmm. We sprayed some Florida water on us, and the terrible feeling started to go away. I think that it was saying, you know, thank you for doing the right thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, as cool as it would have been to have some antique coffin parts. So if you're new listening, we drive a hearse, and <laughs> it looks like Halloween in our house all year round. Yeah. That kind of stuff. But anyway, they it, like you said, it wasn't ours. It mm-hmm. needed to stay where it belonged. So yep. bad feeling or not, we just don't take anything from cemeteries. We don't want to bring any of the uh, bad juju home with us. No. Yeah, Especially
1: oh. being out on the road.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, we could have a couple more weeks of being haunted, yeah, because <laughs> of a rock or something. Who knows? Yep. So yeah, we did get lots of pictures of the stuff, and we'll put them up on the website. So if you're interested in taking a look at them, check out the website. Yeah. All righty. Well, that kind of wraps up our adventure to uh, Gold Hill. I think. Mm-hmm. To, uh We got all the dead jokes in there already. Now, no, right?
1: I have a good one. <laughs> yeah, <I'm laughs> this sure. one's so good. I'm so excited.
0: Oh. We all are, I can tell.
1: (laughs) So I was told the other day that one of our listeners likes when we translate the dollar amounts into today's dollars. So this one's for you. Are you ready? Yeah. (laughs) What does 50 pigs and 50 deer translate into today's money? Uh, (laughs) This one's hard. It's like a riddle, a riddle joke.
0: Okay, well, tell me what do fifty pigs and fifty deer translate into in today's money? What's it worth today?
1: A hundred thousand bucks. A <coughs> hundred thousand bucks. <laughs> it sounds like a hundred thousand bucks. <laughs> you get a hundred thousand bucks. I got it. I'm gonna say that for now. on every time we have to say a hundred thousand bucks, and I'm like a hundred thousand bucks.
0: Luckily, we don't have to say a hundred thousand bucks very often.
1: What did you say? You heard me.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Our adventure to Gold Hill. Try that uh, and a new translation on your money. Yes. Yeah, I would like to say thank you again. Um, aside from the numbers, we've been getting a lot of other positive feedback as well. And just to let you all know, it's greatly appreciated. Yes. So,
1: yes, please keep sharing us with your friends and family.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, if you want to stay up to date with us, we are most active on the Instagram
1: at Rebel at Large.
0: We'll post photos of our adventure on the website
1: rebelatlarge.com, dot com, where you'll also find links to our email, other social deals, and our new merch store and our Patreon. If you'd like to support the show,
0: absolutely. So, thank you all for the support. We do greatly appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So, don't be afraid to tag us in your new Rebel at Large gear either.
1: Yeah, yeah
0: a lot of still a lot of sales out there. It's awesome. So I have a couple more designs floating around in my head. However, I've been building the new adventure van pretty nonstop lately. So once I can slow down from some of that, I'll put up some more designs on the on the web store there and I'll post uh, the new designs on the social things when they come out. Yeah.
1: I've got one for you, too. The Tomotis B one. Oh, <laughs> God. Also, if you happen to see us on the road, campground, gas station, please stop by and say hi. We always have some swag with us, at least some stickers. Mm-hmm. We had, we've had a couple people chase us down to say hi, so it's super fun.
0: Yep. All righty. We'll talk to y'all here in a couple of weeks.
1: Safe travels.
0: We'll see y'all down the road.
1: as the mall as the mall <laughs> but um, yeah
0: it- let me redo that